0: I'm going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 5 because that's what the lesson begins with for this week. And I've entitled this chapter, A Scandal Among the Saints. And when you start thinking about scandals, I think it's very easy to remember that there have been some very prominent religious scandals in our country, at least in my lifetime. I can think about since I have been here, the one that occurred back in the 1980s. Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker and the PTL Club, he was charged with fleecing $158 million out of his flock. And when you compare that to today's prices, that's a ridiculous amount of money, ridiculous amount of money anyway. But he was sentenced to serve 45 years for that. Uh, he did not serve that many. In fact, he's out and back on television again. But all this started because he had an affair with his church secretary. And because of that and Miss Jessica Hahn and all the things that went along with it, he was deposed and imprisoned for it. One of his largest critics, loudest critics, was another denominational preacher by the name of Jimmy Swaggart. And Jimmy would shake his finger at uh, Jim Baker and say, you are just a plain old sinner. But in 1988 and then in 1991, he was found twice with a prostitute in a hotel. And he also was defrocked, if that's the term you want to follow, by the assemblies of God and said, we're not going to listen to you or accept you anymore. And then the Roman Catholic Church has been battling for many years the accusations that their priests are guilty of molesting little boys. In fact, this afternoon I read that there were about 700 of them currently under charges right now. And you say, church scandals, church scandals, church scandals. But now I want you to think about our brethren. I'm not talking about denominational churches. I'm talking about our brethren now. What about local congregations in a local area and the scandals that occur? Have you heard what's happening at and then name the congregation. And what happens is many times the preacher, elders, deacons, Bible class teachers, uh, their wives are involved in immoral affairs. And the church is, is struggling because of that scandal within the church. Now what happens when that occurs? Well, I'd like to refer you back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. When Nathan was confronting David... And David's sin with Bathsheba was a gross act before God. And we read, however, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. David, what you have done has caused the enemies of God to have a great opportunity. Anytime a scandal occurs among God's people. It's going to cause the enemies to have something to say and and something with which they can accuse us. Well, here's what I want us to do. I want us to study chapter 5. And you can open your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, you can take one of the pew Bibles out. We're going to look at verse 1, the scandal of open sin. Then in verses 2 through 8, the seriousness of unrepentant sin. And then finally, the solution for dealing with sinners In verses 9 through 12. Look with me at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Now, um, when Paul says it's actually reported, he's not referring to gossip. The household of Caloey has already reported to him in chapter 1 that there were divisions in the congregation over various preachers and evidently she must be the one who has reported this as well. But this is not just evil surmising. It's an open sin that everybody can see. It is fornication. It's a sexual sin. For those parents of you who are uh, parents of children in the lower grades that are going to Bible Bowl, I. I think you need to explain to them what this involves. They're probably already hearing some of this stuff at school, but fornication is a sin between those people who may be married, may not be married. It refers to all kinds of illicit sexual activity. But he says it's not even named among the Gentiles. These are things they won't even participate in. You know, I wonder today as I hear about all the perversions that's going on, We hear about all of the uh, homosexuality, the LGBT, whatever other letter you want to add to it, community, is trying to promote. And I, I think about how more ungodly can this world get. But this is so bad that even the Gentiles won't even approve of this. They violated the law. Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 8 says "The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It's your father's nakedness. Deuteronomy twenty two thirty 30, And a man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. Talking about the sexual sins there. Christians should not be guilty of any open sin. We should not be defiant of what God says on any subject. You know, you go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. That means I, as a Christian, should never be charged with a thief. I should never be charged with murder or even being a busybody in other people's matters. In Romans chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, as Paul addresses the Jewish people and their treatment of the Gentiles like we're better than you are. He said, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. But now you move to the second part in verses 2 through 8. And that's the seriousness of unrepented sin. How many people have sinned? Romans 10 verse, or Romans 3 verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's a difference between sin and unrepented sin. Listen as we read verses 2 through 8. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken from among you. For indeed, I am absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was crucified for us or sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. First thing he says, you're puffed up. To be puffed up is to have an elevated view a blown up view of yourself, say, do you know who I am? Sometimes people who are in positions of authority, sometimes people who have a lot of power, a lot of money, will find themselves being charged by others. You did wrong. Well, you don't know who I am. You're not giving proper respect for my status, my position. And evidently that's the case here at Corinth. He said, you should have rather mourned Mourning it says that you're sorry that it occurred. And we're talking about the congregation now. The congregation is arrogant. The congregation is puffed up. The congregation's not mourning as they should have. Psalm 119 verse 136. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. David could look and say, as I see everybody and they're not doing what God wants them to do, he says, it just grieves me. Jeremiah 13, verse 17, But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Jeremiah looks and says, I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to depart from God. But if you do, I'm going to have to weep for you. There are times when other people will commit sin in our midst and rather than gloating over it, you want to be sad about it, mourning over it. He said that he who had done the deed might be taken from you. To be taken from a means to be removing of the offender. Here's the person in the congregation and they're creating the controversy, they're creating the problem, and he said you've got to remove them from that. And Paul said, I've already judged this matter. And you said, how can you do that? That's prejudging. Oh, no. You see, the truth is, Paul had already talked to them about this. This is a matter of right and wrong. This is a matter of open sin. Here's a man out here who is doing something wrong. Do I have the obligation to go to him privately first when he's committing an open sin? Not unless it's a private matter. Matthew chapter 18 beginning with verse 15. So what does he tell them? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is by His authority... 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When Paul is speaking here, he's speaking authoritatively. He said, Along with my spirit, in the power, in the name of Jesus Christ. You being gathered together, that means it's a congregational activity. It's not as if somehow we've got a church director and we just mark their name off and say, well, we're not going to count them anymore. It's not as if we sort of just ignore them, but he said, uh, you as a congregation being gathered together with my spirit, deliver such a one to Satan. Well, those are such stark words. Deliver a person to Satan? They've already made their choice. They've already said, I want to do what the devil has told me to do and live like the devil tells me to live. I don't intend to do what God tells me to do. If that's where they want to go, let them go. The father did not prevent the prodigal son from going in the far country. He lovingly, willingly looked for his return, but he didn't prevent him from going. And when you look at this, you find situations like in First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20. He said, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. <laughs> Hymenaeus, Alexander, you want to be blasphemers? You want to take the Lord's name in vain? You can go with the devil. But then he explains why. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see, that's the desired outcome. We want the man to be saved. When somebody says, I'm going to live like the devil, say, okay, you go over there to the devil's place. You go, if you're going to act like the devil, you're going to be one of the devil's followers, then you go associate with them. You don't stay with us. That person realizes what they've lost. You know, the prodigal son came to himself and he said, you know, my father has servants who've got a lot more than I do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Oh, yes. The goal is to try to save their soul. You see, the church had already been influenced by this glory. Paul had said, your glorying is not good. What's going on in the church now is not a good thing. When you have people sinning openly and you have people who are participating in it and others are saying, well, that's all right with me. Then what you are doing, you are bidding Godspeed speed to error. And Paul says, that glory is not good. And he explains, he says, do you not know that little leaven, leavens a whole lump. Leaven, as we talked about a few weeks ago, was the influencing agent that was used to make the bread rise. And as it was inserted into a portion of the dough, it would cause it to rise. And it would influence as it is mixed to the whole thing. And God told the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 7, Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. They had to get rid of all the leaven. And that's the idea that Paul is saying because he brings up the Passover. That's when this occurred. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of the Passover were one and the same. And he's saying, now I want you to understand you don't have any leaven there. Because leaven was often used as an influence of bad things. Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Yes, you keep hanging around with those no count folks, those sinning folks, those people who do not respect God, and you too will become like them. You see, there's congregations that don't understand that as you begin to compromise just a little here, a little there, pretty soon you find yourself no longer where you once stood. And we can't compromise. Which brings me to the third part of this lesson found in verses 9 through 13. Let's read this together here as we go through this section. I wrote unto you in my epistle not to keep company with fornicators. Yet I certainly did not mean with the fornicators of this world or the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who's a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or reviler or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do judging those who are also on the outside, also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. And Paul said, I wrote. That means there was a letter prior to our 1 Corinthians. And when he says, I wrote unto you not to keep company with fornicators, this subject has been brought up before. This is not the first time they've heard this topic. Paul has already known the tendency of the people living in Corinth and the difficulty that that's going to bring living in a place where there's so much immorality that somebody would bring it into the church. And so Paul says you don't do that. He says not to keep company with. That means you don't go along with them. You don't fellowship with them. You don't have a joint participation with them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 uses the same idea. And particularly in this passage, he explains what he means in verse 11. He says, not even to eat with such a person. You don't let this person think that the behavior that they're participating in is acceptable to you or to God. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 14, we read, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, And do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. You know, people who are disciplined, people who are no longer accepted, find a certain amount of pain in that. Why don't you accept me? Because of what you're doing. Why don't you go along with me? Why can't you just ignore it? Because it's too important. Because God said, I can't ignore it. Because your soul is too precious. Well, what kind of sins is he talking about? We've, we've already noted that what you have is one has his father's wife, most likely his stepmother, committing fornication. But as you start looking, not only fornication is listed among this, but covetousness. Oh, we we will withdraw over fornication. But what about a brother who's so greedy and so covetous that he wants what everybody else has? In Exodus chapter 20, he said you don't covet your neighbor's ox or his donkey or his wife, his house, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Some people live their life with so much greed that they're constantly jealous of what everybody else have and they're trying to get it. Or extortioners. Perhaps the best English word to translate the original word is a swindler. Somebody trying to, by means of hook or crook, take what you have. Idolaters. People who have made an idol their worship. That's who they're directing it toward. A reviler. A person who speaks evil of someone else who reviles their name. And then a drunkard. Oh, we have so many people today who will say, Oh, drinking's not a big deal. What do you mean? Are you, are you saying that to go get uh, tied on uh, Christmas Eve or uh, New Year's is wrong? Yes, that's what the Bible says. That's exactly what the Bible says and those who do so are subject to discipline for it of whom Paul is whom of whom is Paul speaking then in this last little section here he is dealing with two categories of people those are brothers and those are in the world the brothers are Christians those who are in the world are not Christians you see the, the divide between the two and he says i do not mean to say the fornicators of this world, and he says, or covetous or extortioners, he said, for then you would have to need to go out of the world. If you and I would not associate with anyone who had committed a sin, we'd be right by ourselves. We couldn't buy our groceries, we couldn't buy our gasoline, we couldn't buy our clothes. Because there are people who are involved in all these who are gross sinners. But you see, you are dealing with a different situation. With those who are, as Paul will talk about here, on the inside. They're in the body. They're in the church. And he tells you have to judge those who are on the inside. And someone's shaking their head, no, 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 you can't judge. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, you can't judge. Oh, you can too, and he tells you to. You don't judge hypocritically, you judge righteously. Matthew 7, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. That's where people stop. Verse 2, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and look, uh, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Now here's, listen first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's a hypocrite to say, I've got big sins in my life and you've got some little problem and I'm going to try to help you straighten yours out. No, I don't do that. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself left, you also be tempted. And then Matthew 7, or John 7, verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Judging according to appearance is superficially. Just looking at what you see. Judge righteously. Don't be prejudiced. Don't be partial. Make sure you judge as God would have you to judge. Sin and scandals are embarrassing. If it were to happen to us here at Bobby Branch, it would be awful. Because you know, the community will talk about it and people will hang their head and they'll say, oh, you mean you guys are doing that? But the best way to address sin is not to try to sweep it under the rug. The best way to deal with sin is not to try to ignore it. But is to confess it and forsake it. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And if you have sin. It can be forgiven. Tonight if you need to take care of sin in your life. Doesn't matter what you have been involved in the past. You can be forgiven. But you've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to repent of those sins. You've got to confess your faith in Him and be baptized. And you say, well, I've done that. Then if you have sinned subsequently, then you have sin in your life. You need to repent of it. You need to ask your brethren to pray for you. James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another another. That you may be healed, the effectual, fervent prayer of righteous man avails much. The song, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Would you come? As together, we stand and sing.